This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week. First up, it is Chad Finn of the Boston Globe the sports media writer and general columnist. We get into a long discussion about Fox's Super Bowl broadcast coverage, how we thought Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson did, what Olson's performance means for Tom Brady, uh, some Terry Bradshaw talk, Fox hiring Derek Jeter as an MLB studio analyst, get into a little Super Bowl media week. But a big, big part of this discussion is how we felt the Super Bowl on Fox was. I think you will enjoy that. Chad is followed by Jim Miller, James Andrew Miller, regular on this podcast as well, the best-selling author, journalist, and podcast host. And Jim came on to discuss the passing of Barry Sachs, who is a longtime ESPN coordinating producer and a mentor for many on-air talent. He uh, sadly passed away last week at the age of, too young age of 63. So Jim offers some reflections of Barry Sachs and what he meant to ESPN, as well as uh, what Jim sees regarding Bob Iger saying ESPN will now operate in a standalone silo within the larger entertainment conglomerate of Disney. So Chad Finn and James Andrew Miller coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, we bring on Chad Finn, a regular of this podcast, the fine Boston Globe sports media writer and columnist. And today we will certainly do heavy focus on a review of Fox's Super Bowl coverage, getting to a couple other things. I know Chad was incredibly delighted by Fox hiring Derek Jeter <laughs> as an MLB studio analyst. So <laughs> we'll get to that. And, but before anything else, I am pleased to be joined by Chad Finn of the Boston Globe. Chad, how are you? I'm good. They should have hired Nomar instead, but they, uh, I guess they don't think that uh, that forwardly there or something. But uh, yeah, Jeter's been on the Fox radar since he got to the major league. So I guess it shouldn't be that much of a surprise. It's that uh, New York bias. Never gets, they never get away from it when it comes to sports television. Tim McCarver would have hired him 20 years ago. <laughs> um, all right. Let's get to Fox's Super Bowl coverage of the Chiefs 38. 35 win, a really phenomenal game until the last minute and a half where the refs and, you know, I I, I don't want to debate whether it was a legit call or not, but in terms of sort of looking at it from a television broadcast perspective, it really was shaping up for a classic game. And then that defensive uh, holding penalty sort of uh, 
you know, it sort of took the wind out of the broadcast sales having nothing to do with Fox. So big writ large overall impressions, Chad. How would you uh, how do you think the broadcast did? Uh, great game uh, and a, a broadcast more or less to match it. Um, I thought uh, Olsen and Burkhart were really good, like we expected them to be. So maybe there was some uh, the, s- s- some sense of you know wanting to be right about that, like we always uh, on, yeah, maybe not on the surface, but uh, subliminally want to be correct all, yeah. about things. But uh, the feedback I got was that people really liked them. You know, it wasn't perfect. Like uh, I know Olsen. Olsen said when Mahomes had that 26-yard run that, oh, he looks healthy or something like that, and he was wincing with every step. I mean, that was just an incredibly gutty play by Mahomes, and uh, clearly was still hurt, but uh, overall, I thought they were really good, and I thought thought Burkhart Burkhart in particular was terrific. So, I talked to Richie Zions prior to the game. I saw that. Yeah, Yeah, and so, yeah, I try to do at least try to you know, I mean, the athletic's paying me money. I might as well, like, you know, make a call or two to try to make the story different. Um, and so, you know, he told me, and I actually thought this was interesting. And Richie Zines, just for the uh, for people who are listening, you, you know, unless you're hardcore sports media, you wouldn't know him. But he's Fox's lead NFL producer. Um, he's done um, seven Super Bowls, including the one on Sunday, 14 overall. Worked with Madden and Summerall for a little bit. So it's a guy who, like, you know, long time in the business. And he said that five things would satisfy him. Compelling game. He got that. Check. All of the big, all of the big moments captured by his production broadcast team. I think they got that. Great picture showing the emotional side of the game. That's a subjective one. You know, he really liked... Um, the shot of Kelsey scoring and celebrating and then the other Kelsey on the sideline eating a snack. I think he told me that was his favorite uh, <laughs> shot. I like the um, the real close-ups of Patrick Mahomes' face when he was in agony. Not because I was happy Patrick Mahomes was in agony, but like that really showed sort of you know the violence of the game and the star of the game being hurt. So again, that's sort of subjective. I thought they hit that. Everyone on his crew smiling afterward. I'm sure they were just because it's, you know, it's stress relief and they're done. And then a quality post-game party spread. I found out that was a steak <laughs> dinner, so I would assume that uh, there. So to me, they checked all the boxes. You can always find things in a broadcast where it's not perfect. No broadcast is perfect. Every one of these producers would tell you that. If I have a little quibbles, I wish Pereira and Greg Olson would have gotten into it a little bit more about the call at the end of the game because Pereira was pretty pretty clear immediately that this should be a penalty and Olsen started slow but then got to the point you can't you can't have a game determined on this yeah Yeah. what's interesting is they're both right you know like Pereira by the letter of the law it was a penalty but Olsen is also right in that how could you let the Super Bowl be determined by this uh this incredible play but lastly and this is what I want to get your take on because I know you've written about this as I have Olsen is very gifted at taking sort of these complexities that are all around us in the NFL, you know, game and down situations, uh, timeout situations, tendencies, and just explaining it and educating an audience in a pretty clear manner. That That's not an easy thing to do, and I feel like he's, in his very young career, he's done that very well so far. Yeah, he does that in real time, and he does it off the replay, and obviously the replay is easier to do it. I would think every... 
quality analyst could probably do that. But he kind of tells you when it's happening sometimes, which is really impressive. It's not predicting the play or pretending you weren't told what they're going to do. Uh, you know, like Romo get a lot of acclaim for that early. Um, he tells you, uh, uh, he tells you why something's working as it's working, working, or why something didn't. One of the areas where I really liked that was uh, the Sky Moore touchdown, where he immediately yeah. recognized that it was basically the opposite of what they did on the other side with uh, uh, Tony's touchdown. Uh, same play, different receiver, opposite side, but uh, uh, almost a mirror image. Uh, I, I wouldn't have known that, so I learned something from him. Uh, on the subject of the broadcast itself you know you listed off those five things they like it they, they uh, that uh, they were hoping to be able to check off when it was all said and done um one shot i really liked was the pile of cleats of the eagles players one shot i should have thought they should have stayed with was when mahomes got hurt uh, and he's sitting on the bench, clearly in agony, and he puts his head on, I think it was a trainer's shoulder. Like I saw that, and I was like, he, he's not going to be able to go, and they cut away from it immediately. I wanted to see just, uh, you had a really kind of almost intimate moment there of how hurt he actually was, uh, and uh, they, they got away from it. I can't remember where they went, but I, I wanted to see more of that, and usually they do that. I was surprised they didn't. One of the things that uh, is really interesting about this broadcast is that – and it's not just this broadcast, but it's sort of Fox's scenario – is that you can't help watch the watch the performance of Burkhart and Olsen and not think of Tom Brady. I mean, it's, it's just – at least in our world, Chad, it's just – it's very hard to watch that broadcast and not think – that Brady's retired. Brady just announced during the week that he's coming into the broadcast in 2024. And, you know, the presumption, of course, is that he's going to be the number one analyst. But you just had a guy and his partner who I thought had an excellent Super Bowl. You know, there's an expression in wrestling that you can work yourself into a shoot, basically, where you you, you sort of things happen that you don't expect, but they happen. I think, if and I think you and I have talked about this, if you asked Fox executives, Fox Sports, not Fox Corp, but Fox Sports executives, if they could like go back in time and not sign Tom Brady, do you not think they would they would do that? You don't you don't no offense to Tom Brady, but you don't need a thirty seven, forty million dollar analyst. You have an excellent analyst right now in Greg Olson. And in particular, you got a guy who's got great chemistry with your number one play by play guy. Well, yeah, when you said that, I thought I, I wonder what uh shot up with sodium pentothal uh what burkhart would say who would he rather work with down the road i mean brody brady's obviously higher profile maybe that's good for him but uh he has a great chemistry with olsen and they kind of rose up together to a degree and yeah. um there's probably a lot of satisfaction in that for them that uh you know they they weren't expected to be able to do this when there were all the transactions back in the spring with everybody jumping, uh, you know, Buck and Aikman to, to ESPN and so on and so on, um, it felt like fallout that these two guys were going to have the Super Bowl this year. Like, uh-oh, Fox has no plan. And as it turned out, they were really good. They deserved this call. They nailed the call. And I, I would have to figure probably uh, in both of their minds, there's some – 
uh, admiration and respect for for the guy that they're working with because they did it as a tandem. So I'd be curious what he thinks. But uh, in in terms of your question, um, I think it's a it's a pleasant problem to have, and I think it's a good thing. Uh, Tom's taken a year away. Uh, I I was skeptical that he would be good at this. Now I think he might be because he's seems sincere about really trying to learn about what works and what doesn't and why some guys succeed and you know why the drew breezes just don't work out and uh if he's really putting in that work and he's put in that work for his first career at an unbelievable level if he does it for a second one he might be good but it's going to be hard for him to uh get to the level that olsen is at already just a couple of years into his career Uh, yeah no i'm with you i think i actually think the gap year gives me more of a thought that Brady's going to be better at this than maybe many in the public expect. First of right. all, I have yep. no idea how Tom Brady's going to be. Um, I, I've talked to enough producers to think he'll be better than the sentiment it expects. But um, but an additional year, I think, really can get him prepared for the booth. I know some people are talking about this, but the reality of the finances are such that there is no way Tom Brady will not be the number one analyst at Fox. That like That's just inconceivable to think that he won't be number one when he gets there. I, I can't see any scenario where Kevin Burkhardt is not number one because Fox has essentially determined him as your their top NFL uh, play-by-play person. So I don't see any way, Chad, that, that it's not Tom Brady and Kevin Burkhardt in 2024 if Brady comes. Right. There is, you know, there's people kicking around this idea, well, why not make it a three-person booth? Well, one, I, don't, I think maybe even contractually it can't happen, whatever's in Brady's contract, but one... I don't think that sets Brady up for any kind of success because the comparisons to Olsen will already be there. And now you have comparisons within the same booth. So I don't (laughs) see, right. So I don't see that happening. Right. And then secondly, if you're just dealing from a talent asset management standpoint, you would want Olsen on another team because it makes your second team that much stronger. So the three person booth doesn't make sense. The real interesting issue here is just like, if you're Greg Olson, like, what's this mean for you? And how do you react to being on the number two team? I would think without, obviously, this is not my reporting, but I'm just making an educated guess. Greg Olson's going to get a raise, even if he goes to the number two team. You agree with that? You, you placate the guy and say, hey, you're not on the number one team, but we're going to kick up your, you know, $3 million salary and, and um, you know, give you a couple extra million because you, we know that you're a number one guy in a number two team. And then if you're Olsen, you just wait. You wait mm-hmm. and hope that something comes up. And I don't think it's inconceivable that Amazon could come up, uh, you know, and that's not about Herb Street's ability. That's about Herb Street's schedule. Um, Collinsworth eventually will walk away, although I think knowing him, he's going to try to stick around for a little bit. I think Aikman and Romo are set. And if you actually, if you want to go down fantasy land and somehow believe that CBS is going to replace Tony Romo, I can't help you because it's just, that's not happening. Um, so I think if you're Olsen, Chad, as great a year as you had and maybe as great a year as you might have next year, I think your future ultimately in 2024 is number two. I, I don't see any way that it's not. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the three-person booth. They can't do it with those three. They just can't. Um, it's not fair to Olsen, honestly. I mean, he's had the uh, – he's he's been the lone analyst in there other than – you know, Pereira piping up on officials calls and uh, he's been great at it and he doesn't, it, it's not fair to him to, to bring in anyone else, even someone of Brady's magnitude and salary. Um, it, 
There has been some talk that Gronkowski and Brady will be in the booth together. Gronk's really pushed that angle. I don't think it's realistic. I don't think he'd be good at it at all. Yeah, and it would probably be a, the, the jokiness would be a detriment to pro, to what Brady's trying to do uh, in, in establishing himself as a you know legitimately good analyst. I don't think Gronk would be capable or really all that interested in doing that. Um, where Olsen ends up is interesting. I I think you're right on, you know, Amazon potentially. We'll see what Collinsworth does at NBC down the road. But uh, I, I don't know if you caught this yesterday, but uh, I think it was Bill Hoffheimer tweeted out Olson when he was working on the ESPN set uh, back when he did some work for them. Everybody's kind of talking about all the time he did with Fox. And, you know, he, he did the game in 2017 during the Panthers bye week when he's still an active player. But he got a few reps with ESPN and, uh, you know, did a ton of barstool stuff too. And, uh, I, I just thought it was a really subtle way of <laughs> reminding people that, Hey, this was, uh, this was our guy too. We kind of saw this in him and, uh, in him too. And, uh, who knows, maybe he could end up back there someday. Yeah. I mean, you know, the ESPN has absolutely been a training ground for a lot of people. They've also screwed up on a couple of these. I wouldn't call Olsen to screw up. I don't think he could have ever known what he would have been, but Adam Amin is a disastrous script. You can't let under 35 play-by-play people with that kind of talent Versatile. get out of your... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Benetti, too. Now, again, Fox offers, you know, a wheelbarrow of money and opportunity. Like, I get it. That's hard to turn down, but you know what? Your job is to then offer more of a wheelbarrow of money and better opportunities. You can't let these people, th- those kind of talented people out the door and uh, gives me a good segue that Adam Amin was a podcast guest a couple weeks ago chat so please listen to that one with that and Verk but I would say that whether Adam Amin told me to fuck off and not come on the podcast <laughs> I just I think he's an excellent play-by-play announcer and would have no problem saying that okay picture this it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road with available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, a couple things here about the Super Bowl. That was not excellent. That's Terry Bradshaw in the uh Just wondering where we're going to get to that. Yeah, so, I, by the way, I'm not a Terry Bradshaw hater. Uh, I, I've actually, I think he's an incredibly talented on-air person and has been for multiple decades. Um, I did a piece on his one-person show that he did wherever he did in Missouri or something. He's an incredibly talented performer. So I think he's good on television. Uh, that's not my point. Whether, you know, whether he's still sort of great as a studio analyst anymore, eh, he's really just there to be Terry Bradshaw. That said... Fox, what are you doing? Right. Like, this is this is an easy assignment, man. Whether it's Rinaldi or Burkhart or Aaron Andrews or Christina Pink or Pam Oliver or whomever, assign someone to do the trophy presentation that at least gives us a semblance of an interview and not nonsense. I'm sure there is some thought that the NFL wants a Terry Bradshaw type on there because the NFL has to generally sign off on everything, but... You know, Fox doesn't do this for baseball. Like, who does the who does the World Series trophy presentation? Burkhart. It's Burkhart, right? Yeah, right. What what happens when it comes to the NBA Finals? Doris Burke, <laughs> fucking professional. What happens with the college uh, football championship or the college basketball championships? Holly Rowe. 
you know, like that's just really bad booking, as we say in the wrestling business. And um, I don't know. I, I I'm not trying. I'm not. I'm not outraged. Relax with the the culture war, like words of the week. It's just like it's not viewer friendly. And in that position, have somebody at least who may get something out of these people on set. But I don't know. I just felt like that was that was particularly bad with Bradshaw and uh, the Andy Reid jokes at least didn't work. It, it just, I don't know. It was, you know what I'm saying, Chad? It just was like, after a great broadcast, it was a pretty terrible trophy presentation. Yeah, even if you're not offended by that, you know, it was his fat shaming, as some people have called it. I mean, it wasn't the time and place for that. The guy just, uh, you know, for busted balls, I mean, the guy just won the Super Bowl. You know, give him exactly. a, give him his moment it's not the time for jokes and I like Bradshaw too. I mean, um, just in general, I mean, he was great in Smokey and the Bandit, right? But, uh, yeah, multiple, multiple Smokey and the Bandits, <laughs> I think. But yeah, I mean, he's 74 years old. Um, you know, he's gone through a lot of things health wise. Uh, yep. there's a lot of pressure live TV. You know, it's probably still a hundred million people watching at that point. And, uh, uh, uh just, uh, you, you could probably get somebody in there that's more polished and heck, you know, if you want to take somebody from the studio show, Strahan, you know, or uh, how he does it for do a it. living, right? right He's like, yeah. I mean, he hosts Good Morning America. I mean, there's yeah. seems like the perfect person to do that kind of stuff. And I'm again, I'm not saying this is frontline, but at least like a semblance of a of an interviewer, right? It was repeated, too. You know, that's the thing. He, he made a couple of them and uh it uh, it got to the point where he was just like, come on, man, just let the guy have his moment. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, I don't know if we need to uh, spend more than like, uh, you know, 30 seconds on this one. But, uh, Uh-oh. you know, I mean, yeah, <laughs> maybe Chris Berman stay away from the uh, Abe Lincoln references when it comes to discussing the historic matchup of <laughs> Two African American quarterbacks. Did you see that? Uh, no. Clip what are you off, talking uh, about? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, my advice to you would be to check that out. Because, oh no, uh, that was a uh, like spin around and turn your seat and go. What the bleep? Uh, yeah, check that one out. I mean, that's uh, maybe that's one that, that, that you, you know. Is he circling the Burn. wagons now after this one? <laughs> Time for yeah. Maybe Burn puts that one away for uh, forever. Um, did you did you were you writing or did you happen to see Rihanna's halftime program? Yeah, I watched it. It was uh, it was what the uh, family was primary primarily interested in in this house. So uh, had to took a little pause. You always have to watch the halftime show. I um you know we have uh, like everything else on the athletic fifty thousand people covering stuff. Rihanna Walker is one of my favorites at the athletic. Um, uh, wrote about halftime and ranked all the halftime shows. She had Rihanna as the third best halftime performance ever. You know, I, I got to be honest, man. I, I actually really admire the people who put on like that presentation because it's very hard to like, you know, top the previous year or top like, you know, right. the all time, whatever. Maybe I think Prince probably will have that number one spot maybe forever. But th- that was phenomenal performance. Uh, I, I mean, I guess you got to like Rihanna's music to like like the performance but if if you can even separate yourself if you're not the, her biggest fan just really impressive staging and uh you know that's if you if if you're a performer like to me that's the kind of performance you want to put on with that kind of 
with that kind of stakes. And I think, I don't know if you read, I read this, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe the performers get paid for this. I think they essentially, you know, all their production is paid for, <laughs> but I think they generally do it just for the publicity, I think. Huh. Yeah, I saw a headline, uh, uh, what do Super Bowl halftime performance get paid? It's less than you think, and I didn't click on it. <laughs> I just, all right, less than I think. It may be zero. Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah no she was great no no guess um and i i liked uh i'd probably put prince number one i don't did you who's the old uh Phil by the way and rihanna was pre- rihanna was pregnant so oh like serena win in australia yeah just unbelievable she just had a kid yeah. in may what were you too, gonna say? do you uh did you hear the you remember uh, uh sid hartman the columnist in minnesota yeah Long, yeah Long. he's like he was there forever yeah, yeah. the prince super bowl uh, he Prince was walking through. I think it was go to do going to do his press conference, and uh, he's walking. You know, he's got his entourage around him. All the reporters are around. Can barely see him. He's, and suddenly, he stops in his tracks, and he says, "Hey, Sid, just spot him in the crowd." The, I, I guess he was a uh, avid reader of his column, but uh, you don't expect like some 90 year old sports columnist to get recognized by Prince in a crowd. A yeah, yeah. No. Jim, uh, my my buddy Jim Trotter uh, tweeted out that Rihanna gave him a shout out somewhere. Oh, nice! Uh, as I th- I think after the performance, I think she called him Boo. So they so that's a good career highlight for Trotter, who's had uh, many career highlights. And by the way, shout out to Jim Trotter. He will be on this podcast later this week um, for absolutely putting it to Roger Goodell and not getting yeah, any I'm kind squirming. of answer. Yeah, yeah, on the question of uh, why hasn't NFL media hired a um, black management person and try to work for NFL media. That's, that is a ballsy question to ask when you work for NFL media and uh, shout out to Jim, uh, to Jim Tranner. Who's, uh, who's a real one. You think he gets um, picked to okay. ask a question next year? That's a good question. He's asked him that um, twice. Uh, yeah. He's asked and he asks questions every year. I think, right. It's a high profile. I give the NFL, I, yeah. I give the NFL credit there. They usually don't. I mean, I could be wrong on this, but they usually don't, um, set it up where it's just totally friendly questioners in the state of the commissioner conference. The NHL uh, famously did not call on Rick Westhead, who really um, was an aggressive reporter on Gary Bettman, particularly some of the significant issues in the NHL. And the and NHL PR seemed to avoid him being allowed to ask a question until other reporters brought it up. But I haven't found the, NF- the NFL doing that. So we'll see. One to, one to pay attention to next year and if he's not called on it that that would answer your question i, I got one example for you um sure. which they still kind of do it was the uh i don't remember which super bowl it was but it was it was one i was covering and it was when all the ray rice stuff had happened that season and uh um you know he was getting bombarded with questions about that as he should be and then they had the uh play 60 kid ask a question and the kid asks uh you know how much is you, how long is your workout uh, every day, Roger? And I just remember his answer was, I don't do 60 minutes. I do 65 minutes. <laughs> and, you know, he filibustered on that one for a little while to, before the, uh, the real questions came firing back at him. But uh, that, that'll always stick out yeah, in my mind. I don't know how you feel about this, but I, I mean, I know there are some people out there in our profession who uh, don't like it when kids are on press conferences or kids ask questions. I, I feel the exact opposite. Like, one, so many of us in this profession take ourselves way too seriously. Two, sometimes actually if a kid asks a question, you could actually get a really interesting or fun answer. Three, 
I certainly got no problems with players bringing their kids to um, press conferences. We ask these guys shit every day. Like, I, why, why? I'm not going to be bothered if uh, Jason Tatum brings his kid to a to one or two press conferences. He's still there. He's still answering the questions. Usually, the kids are super cute. Um, but I'm never bothered by that. But I know that there are some are. I mean, yeah, I know it's a workplace. Blah 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 blah. I mean, come on. Like, it's 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 you know you. you the professional journalist many times ask shitty questions. Uh, we could probably be okay if, like, some eight-year-old who wants to be in media and who wants to do this and kind of, like, admires the people who do it asks a question. Like, the world's not going to end. No, as long as you've got time to get in your questions. I remember last year when the Celtics played the Warriors in the finals. Um, Clay Thompson is one of the most likable characters in sports, in my opinion, but he was complaining that, uh, Celtics fans are swearing at the Warriors players, you know, in front of the children. And then Draymond uh, Green brings his own kid up to the podium and he's he's F-bombing all over the place. So it kind of kind of defeated Thompson's argument about how Boston fans are behaving when his uh, his teammate has had his own kid up there with him, uh, you know, cursing up a storm. Yeah, by, by the way, I'm yeah, I'm pro Draymond cursing in front of his kid. Too, hey, so there you go. I'm wasn't the first time, on. probably. Right. Exactly. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit HelloAlma.com Therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's HelloAlma.com Therapy60. All right. You want to switch to your favorite topic? Fox hiring Derek Jeter as an MLB studio analyst. We have not gotten the details as to what uh, Derek Jeter will be, uh, like what events he will specifically be doing, but I think you can make the reasonable supposition that Derek Jeter's not doing Saturday uh, (laughs) Blue Jays versus uh, Diamondbacks. Like It'll be like, you know, Field of Dreams, um, All-Star Game, uh, certainly the World Series, maybe some postseason stuff. But, I mean, it's very clear that, you know, along with hiring Derek Jeter just because he has the name Derek Jeter, I'm sure there's some producer there who thinks if we put A-Rod and Jeter together, we're going to get on-air magic. Um, yeah, and Pedro. I, I don't, I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, maybe. Uh, Jeter was um, in his documentary. There's a lot more. Is forthcoming the right word? Yeah, forth, more forthcoming and and introspective than I sort of had seen him in the past, but um, the jury will be out with me on Derek Jeter as a uh, MLB studio. It just, again, this is just a first guess on my part. It does not feel like this is a long-term job for Derek Jeter. Yeah. I hate saying this because half of my shtick is uh, ripping on Jeter, but (laughs) he's a pretty likable guy. I mean, he was always, he never agreed. He's really, he found the perfect balance for a high profile player of, being cordial with the media, even friendly, and not saying a damn thing. 
Um, we'll see if he actually says things in the booth. I wasn't encouraged by the six-part ESPN series. He had a few things in there. You know, he addressed the A-Rod history, uh, certainly showed his frustration with uh, how it, uh, how some of the contract negotiations went with Brian Cashman, clearly holds a grudge, but he... <laughs> Yeah. He's not. He's still not candid. He's selectively, uh, selectively so, but rarely. Um, yeah. So I think he's going to run into some of the same issues in the booth that Brady might, where they've just lived such. A- well, in the studio, in the yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt, studio. but in the studio, yeah. though, not the right, booth. That's, right. But yeah. that, which I think gives him, you know, it's. I'm not saying the job is easier, but I think it plays more to Jeter's personality. Like Jeter as a game analyst seems inconceivable just because you're asking him to talk for three hours but you know on a set with three or four other people that whole set is about like laughing and stuff like that and centering around a rod it feels like jeter can add something i just i i don't know i i i guess i'm who's he gonna be with i'm ortiz yeah frank thomas has never brought anything to the table they can move on from him but it's like the the show that show is always centered around a rod right and yeah. if you bring jeter in i'm not saying i think jeter wants it to center around him but you can't have you can't bring Derek jeter in and just sort of have him as like the fourth guy who gets to be the so, shortstop you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know so we'll see i mean burkhart's an excellent host and he'll you know he'll be ego free and he'll allow these guys to talk as much as they need to talk. So we'll see. I, I, I think for that show, this is just my um you know my guesswork here. Having those many stars is really they just want you to maybe tune in for the first couple minutes and then they hope you can stick. So the hiring of Derek Jeter is as much about like winning the press conference or winning the marquee as it is in terms of what insight Jeter may or may not bring. Right. Yeah. I wonder how long they've been trying to get him. I mean he went into you know, went into ownership there with the Marlins for a little while. Uh, you know, Players Tribune was a distraction at the end of it after his career, immediately after his career ended. But uh, it seems like he probably in his playing days would have been desired the same way Brady was by the networks. Just uh, yeah. the name to get if you can get anybody. See, I know that he would not do this because I it, it probably his agents or management company would say don't. But like, what would have been really fascinating to me is let's say Apple hi- hired Derek Jeter, and you center everything around Jeter for that package. And yeah, I get a ton of people aren't going to watch, but like that would be interesting because like Jeter would be far and away the most interesting thing about that, and that might be worth me tuning in. Now, the likelihood is. Maybe he doesn't get paid as much, although Apple actually has money, so I shouldn't say that. You know, obviously, you don't get near the reach you would get on a Fox or uh, or a TBS or an ESPN, but like that would be interesting to me more than being next to A Rod, Ortiz, Frank Thomas, and you know, what I'm saying one of four, but we'll see. I, I'm, you know, I, I the the you, you can't make any judgments on any of this until you see the these guys on set. But um, wouldn't it be the ultimate Jeter power know, play if he forced A Rod out? Playing the long game. That'd be interesting. Uh, <laughs> Not that we have I mean, A Rod's left. What's A Rod got then? He's got him and he's got K Rod, right? Him and Michael K. That that's that'll be the uh, that'll be his full time. Uh, full-time gig there all right a couple more things you were not at the super bowl correct i was not i go if uh the patriots go interesting okay but you have gone before 
Um, do you do you find that that in your for your job is it a valuable thing? Although let's take away from the fact that when you were when the Patriots went, you were obviously writing probably football stuff in addition to media. But do you find that if you let's say you went this year for the week, mm-hmm. valuable, not valuable, neutral? It's a great trip, beautiful weather, et cetera. We all know that, but. Your experience there, how did you find it as a reporter? Yeah, I've actually uh, I covered two in Arizona. The first one I ever covered was the Giants win over the Patriots in the 2007 season. And then uh, eight years ago, the Malcolm Butler interception. So, uh, and uh, both of those, uh, I, I find it really helpful. I mean, my assignment isn't just media when I'm out there. It's to write features and profiles and... Uh, right. You get enough access. I mean, it's all super controlled, but you get the teams every day. And I don't know if it's like this right now. It's been a few years since the Patriots were there, but um, you have the access where players are at a table and it, there are offensive linemen who play 16, well, 17 games now and uh, full-time starters who don't get a lot of attention because everybody swarmed around Brady and Edelman and, and uh, you know, so on and so forth. And uh, you, you can really pretty much get everything you need. And I remember one year I had to write about uh, all, all the expatriates in the media uh, because, you know, hmm. it's not a media-friendly team really, but so they have a lot of smart, thoughtful players come through here. And so you get the Rodney Harrison's Teddy Bruski's on and on down the line. And uh, I think I caught up with or got every one of them in person at the Super Bowl in one way or another. So um, the, the, the access is controlled, but you can really get what you need there. Yeah. The, the, I, I would say having gone twice, um, by, by the way, I give the New York Post a lot of credit. They sent both Andrew Marchand and Ryan Glassbeagle on uh, to do media stuff. So they, they really invested heavy. The value to doing media, in my opinion, obviously, is you can get a lot of stuff from uh, the host broadcaster who is going to make people available, make access available. The networking end of this, Chad, is probably really where you get the most value because there's broadcast agents everywhere. Mm-hmm floating about broadcast executives a lot of the super bowl as you know is just a it's one big networking soiree where people go to like you know party x and party y you know this party thrown by lace seinberg this party thrown by colin coward you know a lot of white dudes in 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 suits talking about their uh second house in connecticut but you know like there's value in like having that access because like that's where you get transactions you know Broadcast agent X says, hey, my uh, client's up for renewal at the end of the year, and uh, so-and-so showed some interest. So, like, you know, there's value there's value in that, but it's interesting that in many ways the um, you can you could approach media sports media writing in the same way you might approach like, okay, I got a story every day when it comes to the when it comes to the football side. One of the things that I found so fascinating was just sort of reading up on um the early origins of the Super Bowl when it comes to the media. And there was a, I forgot who it was at Sports Illustrated who t- told me this, but whatever. It was an old timer at Sports Illustrated who told me this. For the first couple Super Bowls, do you know that like the access was such where you could go to a player's hotel room, have dinner with him, and like write a story about that player while eating dinner with that player during Super Jeez. Bowl? Week? Well, you, I mean, the, the, yeah. the famous Namath proclamation where he made it sitting at the pool right. with, yeah. you know, 10 reporters sitting around, seating around him. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. I mean, uh, 
I think one of them was Brent Musburger in, yeah. that, uh, in that famous photo. But yeah, I mean, that that's like, in, I mean, think of Patrick Mahomes lying out, sun tanning, and 100 reporters around him. Like, that is so inconceivable. It's like alien. Well, maybe aliens landing on Earth is not as <laughs> very conceivable. But, but you know what I'm saying? It, yeah. But it's like, by the way, it's it's all spy apparatus from China and Russia. Please, people, like, use your noodle here. Um, but it's it, it's just crazy to me, like, that. You know, the, once upon a time, like it was very, very different. And today, Super Bowl has become so big that um, I don't think you could do it any other way with what with controlled access. No, you couldn't. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's just an, an enormous. I mean, there's so many reporters there. You the when the Patriots were there, you know, in the the dynasty years, I mean, people would get there hour, hour and a half early to post up at the podium waiting for Brady. Just the, it, it, <laughs> right. If you wanted something, if you wanted something for Brady, you're going to have to get it from a press conference, but um, you could get what you needed from other players. And it, it's super valuable in that regard. And the other cool thing about covering a Super Bowl is you just see things that the, you, you wouldn't expect to see. I remember, I think Aurand was with me at the time. Um, just talking by an elevator, waiting for an elevator to come up. And there's a bunch of people around and uh, uh, doors open. Joe Montana steps off and Tim Tebow step off and Tebow gets formed and nobody notices Joe Montana, you know, just things like that, that could only happen at that one particular place at that particular time in the world. Yeah. Good. Worth mentioning, by the way, Wright Thompson wrote a profile, Joe Montana's best profile read in 2023. Yeah. Just brilliant uh, stuff. Uh, spent months with Montana and uh, it's really interesting. You're so right though. Cause um, you know, that's sort of one of the fun parts of the job. If you're at one of these events, like, you know, an all-star game type where like, you know, you take, I took the elevator once with Bobby Orr. Just wow. like random, you know, like, yeah. So uh, um, covering the U S open once uh, Pele walked by the media center. I mean, uh, you know, that's sort of the fun parts of, uh, of um of the job the not so fun parts are writing about stupid things in sports media that that's not the fun <laughs> parts of the job. but you know you gotta someone, everybody's gotta earn a paycheck uh it lastly um i can honestly say i didn't watch much of the super bowl pregame did you and is there anything you want to add from it i'm not sure i'll have any insight uh no not really i, I watched uh we had the celtics game on espn up here yesterday so i watched that and then switched over beforehand with the yeah, uh, about an hour and a half to go before the game started. Nothing, nothing really jumped out at me. I mean, you know, this Fox crew, you know what you're getting. You know, back, yeah. back by the way, that, I, I like I like Gronk a lot, but boy, that commercial by the end was just what nonsense. happens. It, but I think it was just I think it was just a kayfabe. I think it. The, he, I, I'm not sure either. He never kicked it, or the whole idea was that he was missing it, and you were going to win the money anyway. I mean the. It, it was taped. It wasn't live. I mean, yeah, it was a mess. By the end, I mean, they had a clever idea, and then I think they they hooked their own idea. So that that was a bust to me. Yeah, it was. It was people are just left puzzled with what happened because it looked like he made the kick too. It just, um, I don't know. Adam Vinatieri can do better than those commercials. Yeah, I do. I will say though that like there is something there to do something live. Like, you know, your commercial campaign revolves around someone doing something live on Super Bowl Sunday, like some kind of challenge or some kind of something. That is a good concept. The That concept with Gronk, though, was was a terrible conclusion to what was a very uh, clever concept. And then you're right. As far as the pregame, like, 
it's just very rare that there's any honestly notable features. I know a lot of people put a lot of time into it, but so much of it sort of feels like very programmatic and uh, the same. I actually thought the Jeter announcement was very rare, where you actually you made some news on your Super Bowl pregame show. Yeah, I was surprised they kept that under wraps. It, uh, yeah. yeah, no, they nobody broke that, which uh, for a guy of that magnitude, um, that's a pretty impressive. Uh, um, Secret hold. Uh, all right. Before we get out of here, is there uh, is there anything uh, left to say? I will just say for the people listening to this, um, I would expect Jeff Saturday to head back to ESPN, by the way, uh, if he doesn't get a job in the NFL. The sources have said that they really would like him back, and it doesn't feel like if the Colts don't hire him as a head coach, which it seems clear that they're not, I don't know if the guy's getting a getting a job in the in the league right now. So you can keep that one in mind. Uh, but is there anything else, Chad, that uh, – that you want to add before we get out of here? No, it feels like we just had our Super Bowl of media coverage with the uh, with the particular Super Bowl. It's always yeah. it's always interesting, and uh, you know, even when you think you know what to expect, you suddenly have a live quote unquote Gronk commercial to watch, uh, shanking but, field but, goal. Here, I'll give you a pop quiz. Do you know who has the Super Bowl next year? I, uh, network or city? Network. Hmm. Network. City, you should know, because that is, we have read about that now for like a million times. I'm drawing a blank. You really don't know the city, seriously. No, who is it? What what is the most most sinful city in America? Oh, Vegas, right, right. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, Allegan Stadium. uh, Maybe I mispronounced it. If I did, I apologize. Um, That's where the Super Bowl is. And next year? Nance and Romo on CBS. Uh, you mean uh, Ian Eagle and Charles Davis? <laughs> yes. Ian Eagle and Charles Davis. That's what the people want. Uh, you know, P- CBS PR director Jen Sabatel is going to be on the phone with you. calling you Call Rich. Chad Finn. He made me say what it. What the hell? All right. Chad Finn is the uh, sports media writer as well as general columnist for the Boston Globe. Follow all his work there and follow him on Twitter as well. Chad, uh, thanks for coming on uh, to do a little bit of a Super Bowl recap. And uh, the next time we talk, it'll be uh, deep in February. So we'll have to be college basketball talk or something. We'll have to figure out what we're going to do. Nance's goodbye. March Madness. So, <laughs> so uh, must be what we're looking at there. Yeah, we got. Well, that's March. Yeah. yeah. February is a little bit of a dead month, but you know, March, March provides because baseball's around the corner then too. Yeah. So March is a, is a good sports month. All right, Chad, thank you very much. Be well. All right, Rich. Take care. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. All right, as I said at the top, we bring in frequent guest of this podcast, James Andrew Miller, Jim Miller, journalist, best-selling author, and podcast host. And before we get into the reason I asked Jim to come on, which is the passing of longtime ESPN producer Barry Sachs, Jim, you were at the Super Bowl. I don't know. I know you're an Eagles fan. I don't know if you have been to a Super Bowl before, but... uh, that was, I mean, it's not the ending you wanted, but the experience must have been pretty cool. Well, I don't mean this as a humble, but I've been to many uh, 
Super Bowls, but none more frustrating than yesterday. That was a rough one. What was it like in the stu- in the in the stands for Eagles fans? Because it looked like after that first half, you were going to be heading home with a championship. Yeah, you know, you're watching Rihanna. You're feeling pretty good. And uh, <laughs> uh, the one thing that we certainly could count on, we thought, was our defense. And um, you know, Andy Reid had a hell of a halftime uh, strategy session and speech with his team. Clearly, so, uh, it was just it was just tough. Were you there with any of your children, or were you there with some uh, some friends? Yeah, my son. Oh, nice. All right. All right. Excellent experience. All right. I wish the occasion was um, not somber, but it, it, I wanted to – I was struck by um, how many people on social media said such lovely things about Barry Sachs, who was a um, longtime – ES band producer, somebody who really goes back to the sort of the beginnings of that place. He was mentioned in your book. I imagine you interviewed him at least a number of times. You're certainly well aware of him. Um, so many very well-known on-air people uh, spoke out about what Barry Sachs meant to them. And um, you had, I guess you had stayed in touch, right? What, um, when was the last time you saw Barry and, and what did he say to you? So I saw him right before the pandemic. I was invited to speak uh, at Quinnipiac University, and uh, he was there. Uh, I, I was talking He's teaching, with, right? Yeah, teaching. I was talking with um, I was talking with some of the students in the auditorium before uh, before we started, and they were telling me about this great teacher that they had. And all of a sudden, I realized. It must be Barry. And sure enough, Barry showed up for my speech, which was lovely of him. And we spent some time uh, talking before and after. And in fact, during the Q&A, a couple of times, people asked me questions about ESPN. And uh, I just said, listen, it's silly for me to try and answer that. I mean, I can, but we have somebody in the room who's far, far more knowledgeable. And uh, and so it was great to, great to see him. And he was enjoying his role there because... You know, for much of his time at ESPN, Barry was, in effect, a teacher. Uh, he was a mentor. And it's something that I think a lot of people uh, are thinking about yesterday and today, um, from Lee on Lee Fitting on down, um, you know, about the way that he mentored people and passed uh, you know, important, important lessons on. But I, but I think the other thing that goes through my mind, Richard, it really is that um, you know, sometimes ESPN is just reduced to four initials and this behemoth and, you know, whatever. And I think that it's interesting to think about Barry in this, in the, in the sense that, you know, I point out in the book and I've always talked about it since that ESPN is really an outlier in terms of its location, right? I mean, right. you move your family to the middle of nowhere, Connecticut, and you put them in schools and, a lot of people, they don't date ESPN, they marry them. And so as opposed to if you're at CBS Sports or ABC Sports or, you know, what used to be ABC Sports, NBC Sports, you know, you're in Manhattan, other jobs, you can either, you know, go to a different sports network. And I think that there's a real sense of uh, a family and being in the trenches with people. And I mean, Barry got there, I think, in 84 and was there for over 30 years. And if you had to like chart 
the time to be at ESPN. I mean, he covered so many different eras, obviously, during that time, but he was there for the exciting, you know, building the moat, so to speak, where ESPN went from a laughing stock of, of a place where even ABC Sports, their sister network, wouldn't even help them out sometimes to to being, you know, the behemoth um, and the dominant force. And he did everything there. I mean, he was involved. He was critical player in the 89 earthquake, but he was, his fingerprints were all over his sports center and studio productions. I mean, the DNA of highlights at ESPN were informed um, by Barry. He, I think, I'm not sure, but I think that in terms of like Mike Tyson's uh, interactions with ESPN and his fights on ESPN, I think Barry was all over that. Uh, college basketball, baseball Hall of Fame. And, and it shows you the kind of life and professional life that you can have um, if you had gotten to ESPN at that time and you had the talent and the skills that Barry did because um, right. so many people loved him and he was so instrumental in, in so many different ways. All right. So a couple of just facts so people know. Um, he died at 63 on uh, last Sunday. Longtime producer at ESPN, as Jim said, joined ESPN in 1986. Oh, 86? I thought and, it was 84. Yeah. And so um, all of the... Uh, you know, yesterday, uh, we're taping this on Monday, uh, you saw people like Susie Colbert, Scott Van Pelt, uh, Robert Flores, former uh, ESPNer, um, you know, really reach out, particularly through uh, social media, just to uh, describe just how good a coordinating producer he was. I think one of the things I saw, Jim, was that uh, he worked like the overnight sports center shift for a long time. Like, so he really was like uh, um, a part, it looked like, of just so many different facets of of that place. Um, you know, me and you have talked about this before, but uh, he left there in 2016. I don't know if he was part of the layoffs or if he left on his own accord, but um, it's it's hard when when – these people who have such institutional knowledge are are no longer at these places, and I don't know. I, when I when I saw Barry's passing, I just I hope people who are similar to him are are appreciated because you can't institutional knowledge is probably undervalued significantly in the world, and he possessed clearly things about ESPN that could not be replaced. Yeah, and I also feel like you know you need to um, maybe use the word architect or developed uh, because it yeah. wasn't just that he was absorbing things when you're doing uh some of the things that he was doing particularly in the in the 80s uh in the 90s uh you're i mean he was responsible for thinking of things in different ways and uh coming up with new kinds of blueprints for coverage and new ways of doing things and he was also i think he was relentless i i, I think that um lee fitting wrote a beautiful appreciation for him. And I think that one of the things, one of the quotes that we used was that Barry always felt, even on the overnight, he used to say, quote, somebody is watching. And that is such a great, great way of not only capturing the way he approached his job, but also the way all of us should approach their, you know, our jobs. Uh, I think Michael Jordan once said to Scottie Pippen that it's somebody's first time seeing us, you know, uh, 
you know, in the middle of a season. It's like that's such an important way to make sure that every day and every, um, not to mix metaphors, but every at bat is meaningful. And uh, I think that that was, you know, that was central to 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 what Barry did. And the other thing, and we were talking, about this, yeah, just when I saw saw him at Quinnipiac was. I think there's a there's, there was a genuine love. Like if you're if you're in college and you're a sports fan, right? I mean, everybody's watching sports, everybody's hanging out together. But that's like hitting the lottery to then be able to have that as your profession. You spend the day, you know. I mean, you're working your ass off, but you spend the day in that world and with a ton of colleagues who feel the same way and the intensity. Um, that they have about their favorite teams and the sports and the shock of upsets and the the triumph of, of victories. I mean, not to sound like cliche, but it is it is a wonderful way to spend your life. And I think, you know, one of the things that Barry said to me that day was, you know, he had such a just an unbelievable ride. Um, and and that's something that I'm really I'm glad that he he felt even after he left ESPN and it's something that stayed with him, I think forever. I just mentioned just for those who don't know, uh, Lee fitting is a uh, senior vice president of uh, production at ESPN. All right, Jim, I'll obviously have you back for a longer segment on some other stuff, but before I let you go, I did want to ask you that, um, you know, in the Disney, uh, in the Disney landscape, Bob Iger made a very, very big move uh, a couple days ago saying that ESPN will now operate in a standalone silo within the larger entertainment conglomerate. So now it's sort of, you know, it's on its own compared to what it was under the Disney umbrella prior to Iger's arrival. Do you have any top-line thoughts on what you think that means now that ESPN's uh, in its own standalone silo? Well, one might say that Bob's uh, persistence in saying that we're not going to spin it off, even though Chapik had studied it very closely. Um, that that might be, I'm not saying it's a misdirection, but it certainly makes it easier to spin it off uh, if it's its right. own entity. I also feel like you can't help but think that this is a vote of confidence for Jimmy, Jimmy Pitaro, the chairman of ESPN, in the sense that he gets to, you know, run his own shop in a different way now. I mean, Part of the whole Disney media package that it was for for so long. I, I think that the most important thing that we can say as we sit here in February 2023 is I I think ESPN's future in the Disney ecosystem is still uh, attached to a big question mark. Things are moving very, very fast. A lot of model, models are crumbling, um, despite the fact that it's bringing in, what, 12, probably $12 billion a year in revenue. We're also looking at huge programming costs. You have an incredibly expensive NBA deal coming up and that might make yep. uh, an impact on things. But I'm not sure that anybody, including Bob, is going to say right now that this absolutely will never happen. James Andrew Miller, best-selling author, journalist, podcast host. Follow him on Twitter for uh all his latest. He, I uh, stuck at social media. I don't do it enough, but that's. I appreciate you saying that. Well, I, I was still going to give me more praise here, so you got to <laughs> hold on. Uh, follow his, uh, you know, he's done Origins podcast for Cadence 13, this company. Anything on the horizon on that? Anything new? Yeah, coming? I'm working on uh, four new chapters. So um, oh, right. they, they take a little while. I, I envy 
the conversational weekly model, but um, mine are like, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, they're like, you know, audio documentaries and it take a while, but I'm working on, on four new ones. So I appreciate you mentioning it. Thank you. No, oh, nice. Okay. All right. So we'll be paying attention to that. And uh, um, yeah, you'll be able to follow Jim's work. Uh, uh, like I said, on his Twitter feed and origins will be coming out soon. He'll probably have a magazine piece somewhere down the road. There's always the books that he's done. So and pay attention. And there'll be new, new content from Jim soon. All right, Jim, listen, I, I appreciate you coming on. Um, I know that Barry Sachs was in your book. Uh, these guys have all the fun and, and I thought you'd be a really good. No, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about him. He was a really, really good man. And, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people at ESPN are in are mourning today, and and rightfully so. He's going to be missed. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for coming on the Sports Mini right, Podcast. Thanks, okay. Back in the studio. My thanks to uh, Chad Finn and James Andrew Miller for coming on. If you like these conversations, please leave us a five star review and a nice note. That is how this podcast will continue. Previous guests: Adnan Virk and Adam Amin on this podcast the last week uh, to discuss a number of different things. We did a conversation with two of my colleagues, the Athletic, Chantel Jennings and Sabrina Merchant, on whether super teams are good for the WNBA and uh, where we see women's basketball coverage. Right now, Katie Strang came on to discuss her reporting of a doctor facing 27 counts of criminal sexual assault, many involving male hockey players in Michigan, Greg Olson and Kevin Burkhart. We're guests on this podcast January 27th, Lindsey Jones of the Ringer, Nikki Jabala the Washington Post on Michaels on January 11th. Head to the archives. Hopefully there'll be something there for you. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti, of course, for his hard work. Thanks to everybody at Cades 13, and thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.